Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. You may find these words recorded in the book of Luke in chapter 12 at verse 15. This is a warning. It's a warning against covetousness. I have a marginal reading in my Bible. It says it's a warning against all covetousness. The New American Standard Bible says beware. And it says and be on guard against every form of greed. Of course, we know that covetousness is sin. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, and those who practice such will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in Colossians in chapter 3 at verse 5, the Bible says that covetousness is idolatry. And so thus it is a warning for us. And yet at the same time, we do need to look ahead. We do need to prepare and make plans in this life. But we certainly better be aware of the temptation to possess more and more and more. Because Jesus says what you possess is not what your life is all about. In the book of Luke in chapter 16, we find someone who did, in fact, look ahead and prepare. In Luke in chapter 16, this is the parable of the unjust steward. Now, we're not going to read it. I just want to highlight verse 8. Because this steward was commended by the master because he looked ahead. But in doing so, he dealt shrewdly. And the point of the matter is, by doing so, you know what? He left God out. And if we likewise possess a lot of things, look ahead, make plans and all of that, and we leave God out of our lives, we've forgotten what life is all about. In the book of James in chapter 4, at verse 13 through 17, that's our text. And we're going to raise the question tonight, what is your life? Now, James is going to tell us about life. But in answer to that question, we're going to have to answer it for ourselves. And so having said that, I want to pause uh, and simply point out the fact that we are continuing in our series of lessons about questions about God and about faith. And certainly I want to thank Almighty God I remember only Apostle Paul's first missionary journey recorded in the book of Acts in chapter 14. Him and Barnabas said that God did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. And he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And of course, we know that that's God's general providence. God blesses all of mankind. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we know that all spiritual blessings are in Christ. And I take that to mean that if one is not in Christ, then there are none outside of Christ. And so it's important for us to recognize the blessings that we have. In him we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sin through his blood, according to the riches of God's grace. Ephesians 1, 7. 
And of course, we have the Holy Spirit, the revelation of truth. And God has put us in this special relationship, this church that he purchased with his own blood. And so as has been said every night in the prayers, men making comments, the old gospel story that God sent his son and he died upon the cross at Calvary and that God raised him from the dead. And in his death, we have the forgiveness of sins through his blood and that God raised him from the dead. And in that, we have the promise and the hope of everlasting life. And that story should be told over and over. The Apostle Paul says, I declared unto you the gospel to the Corinthians. And Paul said in the very beginning, he said he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we should be doing the very thing. And so I am grateful to God for the wonderful blessings that all of his children enjoy. I thank you, Brother Chuck, in leading us in singing. And I hope the saints here at Oak Mountain don't take for granted the fact that you have excellent song leaders here, but I tell you what, the singing here is just grand. And we've made to feel at home here among the saints that we've lifted our voices to the throne of God, and as we have taught and admonished one another with these hymns and songs, And I thank all of you for joining your voices together as we have praised our God and been encouraged one to another. I thank you, Brother Bob. I thank you, Roger and Dee. I thank you, Kevin and Jacqueline, for your good hearts, for sharing, opening up your hearts and opening up your homes. And I always just enjoy the time we have to spend together. And all of my brethren here, the time we spent together this week. And as I look out in this assembly, there are many of you who have been here for every single lesson. And you are to be commended. And I thank you. And perhaps we do have some visitors here. I want you to know that you're an honored guest. We thank you for coming. And if you haven't been here before, and even if you have, you'll find the people here who love God, love the people of God, and love those who are seeking God themselves. And so you'll find the family of God meeting at this place. And if you're looking for a place where you can join in worship, in spirit and in truth, I would recommend the the family here at Oak Mountain. The subject that we're going to be talking about tonight is a question. And what I'd like to do is I want to begin with a question. That question is where you're headed. Fact of the matter is we're all headed somewhere. Again, because we're eternal beings. I mean, when we die, the body's going to go back to the dust and the spirit's going to return to God who gave it. Of course, we go on to the Hadean world and we await the judgment. And then after the judgment, we all go to eternity. So we're going to spend eternity somewhere. And I must point out that we must not lose sight of that while we live on this earth below. Because it's easy to get caught up. 
in the daily chores of life, making plans, doing this and that. And we forget what life is all about. Jesus says life is not about stuff and things. It's not about what you have. Because when we die, all the things we have are going to stay right here. And so what that means is we need to be forward-thinking people. Because a heavenly home is of the greatest importance. You want to know how to live the Christian life. And among all of our duties as Christians and all of our obligations, of course, Bible study is important. Reading our Bible. And, you know, we take notes and we research words and phrases and we make careful application of the principles and the facts that we've learned. And, you know, as we study our Bibles, eventually we're going to come to the book of James. And one of the things I like about the book of James, James is a very pragmatic book. It's very practical. Remember how we started our series talking about faith? Well, we started from the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, where the Hebrew writer tells us what faith is, the characteristics of it, and it gives us examples upon examples of faithful people. But we could have come to the book of James, but I've reserved that for tonight because James talks about faith in practical ways. As a matter of fact, the book of James has been called the gospel of Christian living. And I think it fits. When you look at the book of James, what you're going to find as it opens up, James says that the right kind of faith is going to overcome trials. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces patience. And I think sometimes people misunderstand that word patience. It's not just waiting. It's the idea of persevering or enduring. Going through difficult times. And the point is that difficult times can help us. Can help us to keep going because we are putting our trust in God. And, you know, sometimes it gets really difficult. And James says, if it gets so difficult and you don't know how to get through that thing, he says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And I got to tell you what, I have been there. I have faced some difficult things in my life and not knowing how to get through those. We throw ourselves before the throne of God and help us and ask him to help us to keep going. In verse 12, James says that the right kind of faith is going to endure temptations. And temptations are universal. All of us are going to be tempted. First Corinthians chapter 10. And it comes with a warning. Ye that think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Because there is no temptation. Verse 12 says, James, in chapter 1. There's no temptation which has taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. But he will, with the temptation, make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. And so James says that we can endure temptations. 
James says the right kind of faith is a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. James says the right kind of faith is not prejudice. James says the right kind of faith is living and active. And James says the right kind of faith controls the tongue. And I got to pause here. Because I don't know whether we realize it or not. But do you realize that many people may lose their souls because of their tongue? James talks about the difficulty of controlling the tongue. Even Jesus said in the book of Matthew in chapter 12 that our hearts are an index to our speech. He said a good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bring forth good fruit. He said, every idle word that a man speaks, he will give account of it in the day of judgment. Because by your words, you're going to be justified. And by your words, you're going to be condemned. And sometimes it's not only what we say, sometimes it's what we don't say. And sometimes it's how we say it. And that's why God teaches us how to talk. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how you ought to answer every man. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. And you know, us men, we need to get a handle on that. And I think that's the reason why the Holy Spirit tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And with yelling at children, which is a poor example of discipline. And being too harsh, you can break a child's spirit. So the warning is against provoking them. But we've raised three girls, and I know those children can provoke you. Kind of reminds me of this dad like any dad would do, taking the family on a vacation. And so there's two little boys in the back seat, mom and dad up front, and these little boys in the back, and one of them goes to the other. He's looking at me. He's touching me. Dad said, don't make me stop this car. And they just kept it up. He's looking at me. He's touching me. Dad said, don't make me stop this car. And they just kept it up. He pulls off on the side. He get them both out. He wears them out. He puts them back in the car. He said, I don't want to hear another word. Drove off. By 25 miles later, the littlest one, he had enough courage to speak up. He said, Dad, remember when you spanked me back there? My shoe fell off. There are going to be situations in your life we're going to have to learn how to control ourselves. And that's why James goes on to say, after talking about the difficulty of controlling the tongue, he says, we need to seek the wisdom that comes from above. And that's in contrast to man's wisdom. In Proverbs 10, at verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And we're talking about practical stuff. And then when we get to chapter 4 and 5, we see that the right kind of faith trusts God, is patient, and it prays. 
But I want us to look at our text. In the book of James, in chapter 4, I want you to notice at verse 13. Now, keeping this in mind, forward thinking now, and learning how to live a practical Christian life, and we're raising the question, what is your life? Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. One of the first things I want to point out, of course, is that, you know, we make plans. There's nothing wrong with making plans. We make plans well into the future. I mean, we make plans for, speaking of young people, you make plans to go to college. You make plans for a career. You make plans for marriage. You make plans for a family. You make plans for vacation. You make plans for retirement. We make plans in the church for growth individually, collectively. And in all of this, James is saying God's will needs to be considered in this matter. Because we need to understand that the limit of our control over the future is in God's hands. And so one of the first things I want us to recognize is that sometimes there is a problem of self-confidence. When we make our plans and we leave God out, we make these plans for the future without regards to life's uncertainty or its end. I want to raise a question. Can anybody answer this for me? Is there anybody in this assembly, maybe of the highest degree of education, can anybody here tell me what's going to happen tomorrow? I thought so. None of us know. But I know someone who does. And what that tells me is that the future is in his hands and not ours. And so you can see the problem of overconfidence. And you can also see that there are just some things we don't know. But there are some things that we do know. And so by means of a poignant question and its accompanying statement of fact, James is emphasizing to you and I the brevity of life. You know what James says? Life is short. I met a good sister tonight, 94. She's got her four score, 10 and 14. 94. And even 94 is just short compared to eternity. However long we live on this earth. And when you stop and think about it, Jesus Christ lived 33 years on this earth. And think about how much he accomplished. And then think about our lives. 
and think about what we're doing with it. Think about what we've accomplished for ourselves. Think about what we've accomplished for our families. Think about what we've accomplished for our God. Think about how much stuff we have. You know, sometimes the longer you live, the more stuff you get. But again, when we die, that stuff stays right here. And then not only that, our every plan must be made with the understanding that if the Lord wills, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And I'll tell you what that means, folks. That means that we need to say that often, but not just say that. We need to consider God in all of our plans. When we make all of those plans, we need to consider. And I think what that tells me is that I'm going to be praying. And God will know what my plans are. Because he's going to be included in it. And when I make my plans, such as if I take a job to some place, I'm going to make sure that there's going to be a place where there where I could worship, where my family can worship, where we can grow as Christians and where we can contribute to the local church. If I'm going to take a vacation, I'm going to take a vacation somewhere, not away from God, but I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity to encourage brethren in some other place because I'm going to be where the saints are on the first day of the week and whenever saints usually meet. And not only that, boasting in mundane matters is sinful. Small things. Small talk. Because there's some things we just don't know. Some things are just not even important. And so we need to be the kind of forward-thinking people, James says. We need to start thinking more seriously about life. And then James goes on to say, do all the good you can, while you can, wherever you can, recognizing that less than this is sin. And we've mentioned the parable of the talents and however you want to look at that. There's one unmistakable point that underlies all of that. It's all in view of the judgment. So whether you think about talents, and you know people make excuses, I don't have any talents. That's why I think it might be something different. I think it might be opportunities. And if God gives us opportunities, then that means that there is a sense in which all of us get even more. I understand that there are some people's lives are cut short. I understand that there are people in this life sometimes that are born with deficiencies. I understand that there are people with mental illnesses. I understand that there are people who have physical limitations. And I understand that some of those people cannot accomplish certain things. But as long as God gives us breath, I'm going to tell you what, brethren, we can do something. We can profess our faith, who we believe in, and we can let people know who we belong to. 
I want to tell you about a lady by the name of Miss Alberta Dixon. I was preaching in Tampa, Florida. Miss Alberta Dixon was never able to come to the assembly. When I arrived there, she was in a nursing home. I would try to visit her every week. Her entire digestive tract was missing. She could not even eat food. And there would be several days that I would go there and she would just be in tears. And she would ask me, Brother Casimir, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand why God doesn't just take me. And I said, let me tell you what, Sister Dixon. As long as God gives you breath, you know what you can do. You can tell everybody who you believe in. Your being here gives other people opportunities to come and visit you and do what they're supposed to do. Because we're family. There's always something to do. That's what life's about. It's about people. It's about relationships. It's not about stuff and things. And God cares for his people. Mr. Leroy Brownlow, he's written a book, and the title of that book is Some of the Greatest Questions in the New Testament. And I've got seven of them, and I want to paraphrase them. I think you understand the number seven is used figuratively, so this is going to be sufficient for you and I. And so in answering the question, what is your life, Mr. Leroy Brownlow listed seven answers. He said, first of all, life is a gift to be used to glorify God. And as one of my sisters used to say, and isn't that the truth? God gives us life. For instance, he he gives us children, a little baby. And God places that baby in our care. And because God desires a godly heritage, because those children really are his, he entrusts them to us. And God wants us to sow principles of righteousness so that they will grow up and they will know who their creator is. And that they will then grow up and that they will then raise their children and that they will grow up and that they will raise their children. And that's what God's plan is. And in this dark world that we live in, I'm telling you, we have got our work cut out for us. Because there are so many people who are more concerned about making are living than they are about living. And I know that we need to take care of our families, but I'm going to tell you what, folks, God's going to take care of us. It all boils down to a sense of values. What do you value most? 
What if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? And I'm telling you that there are a lot of people out there, they're gaining the world, but they're losing their souls and the souls of their children. It's a gift. And so we have influence when we become Christians. And we need to yield our influence first and foremost in our families. And we need to do all that we possibly can to save our own. And all of those that we come in contact with. We need to recognize the urgency of the gospel. Because I'm going to tell you what, folks. Young people die too. Second of all, life is a preparation. And kind of like a dressing room, it is where man dresses in preparation for judgment day. Because we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to have to give an answer for the things that we've done in the body, whether they be good or bad. How are you preparing for that? Life is a period of building. And we must build wisely and on a firm foundation. Remember that illustration Jesus used at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says that one built his house on the sand, the other built it on the rock. He says the storms come and the storms will surely come. And if we haven't built upon the right foundation, folks, we're not going to survive. And we need to build our, we need to build our houses. We need to build our lives. We need to build our families upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the apostle Paul likens himself to a master builder. He says, for no other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ. And what I'm simply saying is that Jesus Christ ought to be the center of our lives. It ought to be because of him, of all that we do. Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord builds the house, they that build, they labor in vain. He goes on to say that life is conflict or it's war. And there is no neutral ground in this great battle. Jesus says, he that is not with me is against me. And he that does not gather with me, he scatters abroad. Whose side you're on? Are we aware of the fact that we are at war? Who are we fighting for? Who are we fighting with? May I remind us that your brother is not your enemy? Our adversary is the devil. And he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he wants us, he wants our spouses, he wants our children, he wants every last one of us. And that's why we're told to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, he walks about like a roaring lion. And if we understand the nature of a lion, he's ferocious. It ought to be something that we ought to fear because souls are at stake. Life is a multiplicity of choices. 
And the decisions that we make when faced with these choices decides our eternal destiny. Don't you think it's grand that God allows us to choose where we want to spend eternity? Don't you think that's grand? And I like that. In spite of how we live our lives, in spite of what we do, God simply said, you choose. He sent his son. This was in his plan. For all of our missteps, God had made provisions before he had even created this world that we could obtain forgiveness and we could not only have our slates clean, but that he would teach us to make the right choices. And we can prepare ourselves for eternity. And life is something that must be lived. One day at a time. Don't worry, Jesus said. Three times, Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. Why do you worry all year, little faith? That's the kind of faith that doubts God. And we have every reason to trust God, don't we? Doesn't God take care of the birds? Doesn't he take care of the flowers? Will he not take care of you or your little faith? And then the conclusion in Matthew 6, 34, from that point, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Sometimes people get a little bit confused with the church and the kingdom. Sometimes they're synonymous and sometimes they're not. In that case, they're not synonymous. He's not saying seek first the church. He says seek first the kingdom. The kingdom is the governing aspect of our relationship. Let the Lord rule your life. If the Lord is in control, if he reigns on the citizens of your heart, let me tell you what, you don't have to worry. And then he says, life is a vapor and it is fleeting. You've seen the steam pot or the kettle on the stove, and you see it, and then you don't. And compared to eternity, that's life. However long that we might live. And so what we need to do is we need to see our lives as a collection of individual days. Because the days then are made of hours and minutes and finally seconds. And I'm going to tell you what, there's going to come a time... When only five seconds in our life will remain, will you know when to begin the five-second countdown? Especially in a day like today when there's violence on the face of the earth and the thoughts of man's are evil continually. And I say all of that to encourage us to have a proper view of life's brevity, life's uncertainty. And recognize that the heart that recognizes this truth is wise. And it's going to handle life far differently than the soul that carelessly gulps down every day like a pig in a trough. 
As a result of our study, let me just make some applications as I close this lesson. First of all, because my life is like a vapor, I need to stop and think seriously about where I'm headed. And if I do that, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to constantly recognize my dependence upon God. I need guidance. And I know you do too. I need comfort. I need hope for tomorrow. I need hope for eternity. Guidance, comfort, and real hope are only found in God. And it is our gracious God who holds our life in his hand and he suffered not our feet to be moved, the psalmist says in Psalm 66, verses 89. Because in him we live and move and we have our very being. And as our brother prayed earlier, all things can work together for good. For those who love the Lord, those who are the called according to his purpose, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And in that great chapter, back up to verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I need God. And I need to tell myself every single day that I am dependent upon him for every breath that I take. For my very life. But I need it for the decisions that I make. And as a father. And as a head of my family. Sometimes they're difficult decisions to make. Because I'm going to be challenged. My children are going to be challenged. My spouse may be challenged. And I'm going to need God's wisdom. Because I tell you what, when I try to do it on my own, I usually strike out every time. And I have done that so many times. So we need to make up our minds that we're going to be dependent upon God. And we need to to tell him so. And just as James said in the very beginning, we need to ask God for wisdom. And ask God for vision. And ask God for opportunities. And ask God to help us day to day to live the kind of life so that when he does come back, we're ready, we're prepared. Second of all, When I realize the brevity of life, I will be thankful for each and every one of God's blessing. I cannot overemphasize that too much. When I look in the book of Romans, one of the things that caused the people to turn away from God was because they were ungrateful. We're raising a generation of a lot of children who are ungrateful, not to mention the fact that many of them don't have manners, but brother, ought not be so with you and I. They need to learn manners, yes, may I, 
And when something is granted, they think of that person who has granted that to them, and they need to learn to say thank you. And when I was growing up, people would then say, you're welcome. I think a lot of folks don't even know what you welcome mean today. But I'm simply saying we need to appreciate life's little things. And I tell you what, men, we could be in charge of doing that. We ought to be. One of the things I find about this woman, like we read about in Proverbs 31, remember how good she is? Remember her value? But there's something said about the man. There's something said about those children. In Proverbs 31, about verse 28, the Bible says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. I'm saying, to, I'm saying this, especially fathers. Because in the day when a lot of women are stepping outside, they're rolling submission. And we even see it in religion. Little girls and even our wives, they need to be satisfied in the role that God has given them, lest they too be tempted. And while our little sons, they grow up, they get to participate publicly. And oftentimes the little girls are left out. We need to recognize them for who they are. And in our homes and in our families, we need to praise them. And we need to praise our wives because there are so many women, and I'm talking about some of my sisters, who have low self-image and low self-esteem because their husbands are not thankful for the precious gift that God has given them. So thank your wife. And you women, you thank your husband. And I have a good bride. I thank her for everything I can think of. Thank you for washing my clothes. Thank you for cooking my food. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for do what you do for my children, our children. Yes, in kind, she thanks me for the things that I do, for the sacrifices that I make. And we thank God together. Every opportunity we get. We often pray together. Do you do that? Men, you need to lead the example in giving thanks in your home. God has made us the spiritual leaders. You cannot say thank you enough. That's what life is about. And what woman, what little girl would grow up in a home like that and not feel valued? When I realize the brevity of life, I must be about my father's business. That's exactly what Jesus said. You know, brief lives mean we need to be urgent in some of the most important of life's difficulty. Too much time is wasted talking about the weather, small talk. 
Day after day, we greet people who are not even Christians. And we never get around to talking about the important things. I look in the book of John in chapter 4. Remember, Jesus, he raises a simple question simply by asking for a drink of water. And he turned that whole, that whole request about a lesson about eternal life. Read John in chapter 4. And what I'm simply saying, folks, is we need to be forward-thinking people. Because not only are we headed somewhere, but all the people you come in contact, they're headed somewhere too. And we need to be more concerned about them. Let me give you an idea where opportunities may abound. Hospitals, nursing homes, local congregations. Your sick list here is long like the sick list in a lot of congregations. You know what that tells me? You ought to be about your father's business. I don't know how many widows you got here, but visiting the orphans and the widows is what James says is pure and undefiled religion. And I don't think he's just talking about a social call. The Lord visited his people. It means he came to this earth to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. And I'm going to tell you what, those holidays and those anniversaries, let me tell you what, they get lonesome. And those widows and those widowers and those single people and those people who are not married, let me tell you what, they need to know that they have family. When I recognize the brevity of life, brethren, I must live righteously and godly. And God teaches me to do that. Titus in chapter 2 at verse 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. And it teaches us. What to teach us, Paul? It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for hastening the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Godliness is an attitude. It's a mindset. It dwells on God and the things of God. And the result of that is righteousness. What we say, what we do, what we think, our aspirations, our whole being. It's all wrapped up in God and what his desire is for us. And so, I recognize the brevity of life. I'm going to assemble with the saints. I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity. Whenever the saints meet, I'm going to be there. And then even times when the saints don't meet together as a local church, there are sometimes gatherings of individual Christians together, shopping together. Going to the gym together, exercising together, eating lunch together. That's the family of God. That's the togetherness aspect of our relationship. And I'm going to tell you what, people are looking for that. 
Now, if you're here at, our, at, at Oak Mountain and you're one of those isolationists, let me tell you what, God never designed that. You have a family. You have a responsibility to the family. You assemble with the saints. That's the assembling aspect. We get to do things together as we worship our God. And when we leave this place, we're still family. And so, that's our lesson, and we are out of time. (laughs) Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. Your life consisted not in abundance of things that a man possesses. What is your life? Is your life filled with joy and happiness and peace? Is your, joy, is your life filled with anticipation for what lies ahead? Is your life filled with hope? Or is it filled with despair? You see, you don't get this from stuff and things. But you get this from God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. But oh, the things that he has in store for us when we get there. And so we close. And I'd like to use what James says in James 4.17. To him that knoweth to do good and to do it not, to him it is sin. First of all, for those who are Christians, you've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's your life? What are you doing with your life? You're living your life to the glory of God. If you're not, just stop and think for a moment. Where are you headed? Take inventory. Not about the stuff you have, but about the person you are and what are you doing with your life for the glory of God. And if you're here tonight, you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you have. What really matters is who do you know? Do you know Jesus? And you can. But simply recognize the fact that God sent him to be the Savior. And he can be your Savior. If you're simply willing to submit your will to him. Repent of your sins. Change your life. Change your perspective. Change your direction. Let him show you how to live. Jesus says in John 10 and verse 10... I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. We got life. But the abundant life is only, it's only in Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, there's no utopia here. I don't care how good it gets. But the life that God offers through his son is the life that's available if you come to Jesus. All together we stand and sing.